Hi, everybody. My name is Tony Marcolini. Um, welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm joined today by my co-host Seamus McDonough, uh, retired boxer, actor, producer, and entrepreneur. And a very special guest is joining us today. Uh, he was a he's a retired fighter pilot and test pilot for the military, a U.S. Navy captain, commander of three expeditions to the International Space Station, and a member of a the year long mission to the space station. So. He's an astronaut who lived uh, a year in space. I'd like you to welcome, I'm very excited to say, Scott Kelly to the podcast. Welcome, Scott. So I guess I wanted to begin with, I read your book, uh, and I mean, it's, an, it's an amazing read uh, from beginning to end, and, and I, loved, I loved how you set it out. I mean, it, it truly is set in a um, back and forth way in the chapters, like on one hand, you kind of telling the tale of how you became an astronaut uh, from your early years. And on the, on the next chapter, you're, you're in that, you know, you're in this, this at the space station for your year in space. Uh, so I, I really loved how you laid it out. Um, but I was struck by a story and early on in the book. And I, I mean, I read a book once about choices, right? And how choices matter and impact. And you tell a story about you and your brother uh, mailing a piece of mail that your mom sent you to the mailbox with when you were maybe five years old, I think, little. Uh, and it really struck me because it says so much about how you can be at the, in the same spot at the same time and really be at a crossroads. Like, one person can you can make a one decision or the other and it can truly impact your life could you tell that story yeah well we were uh we were little kids we lived in uh, west orange um off of uh i understand like a lot of your listeners may be from new jersey off of uh, valley road in uh and my mother wanted us to go to the mailbox and mail a letter and she gave us the instructions on how to do that you walk down the street to the corner you cross at the corner you come back down the street to where the mailbox is, you mail the letter, and then you retrace your steps. And when we got to the uh, mailbox, I remember my brother, Mark, my twin brother saying, oh, I'm not walking all the way back there. I'm going to just cross in the middle of the street. And I said, well, I'm going to do what mom said and went back to the corner. And as I'm crossing the way I was supposed to, I hear the brakes slam on this car and uh, impact and see this person little person, which was my brother, fly up into the air and uh, wound up with a uh, trip to the hospital and a concussion. I think he stayed overnight. Um, yeah, so, you know, that could have been the end of him and uh, it would have had a pretty dramatic effect on our all of our lives. And, you know, you wonder how my, my future would have been impacted. Would I have still like went on to become an astronaut someday? Who would have been in his place at NASA, you know? So yeah, like you say, you know, decisions have, uh, and choices have consequences. Well, you've certainly been faced with a lot of big ones uh, in your lifetime. Um, I mean, your story is an amazing story. Uh, you start off, I, I would guess, and I hate to describe you this way, but perhaps an underachiever uh, early on. And then- That's a pretty, pretty good way to describe it. 
<laughs> and then suddenly you're struck. Like you really, you have that thunderbolt moment, right? You see a book and you're drawn to the book and you start reading it and, and you, you, you found you, what you want to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could you tell us about that moment? Well, I was in college. I, you know, I was always a bad student growing up. I couldn't pay attention. didn't know how to study. didn't do well. Um, mostly, I think, because I probably had some or have some form of uh, ADD or ADHD that made it hard for me to just sit still and pay attention. That was the uh, case all the way through college. And I was still doing the same poor performance uh, in college like I did all along in my whole academic career. Uh, I wasn't going to class. I'm not uh, doing any homework, not paying attention, not doing well at all, really on the fast track to, you know, first year college dropout and happened to come across, or I go into the bookstore one day to buy, I don't know, gum or something, not a book. I was not a big reader, but I saw this book on the end of the aisle. It was kind of highlighted there and it had a cool cover, I thought, and I'm holding it up for those people that are listening. And, um, you know, it just really interested me. So I read the, uh, you know, the back flap or where the book is described and paged through it a little bit. And then I, you know, took my gum money, bought this book and went back to my dorm room and basically led there for the next, you know, three days without moving. Um, and just reading these stories of the fighter pilots that became later the test pilots that later became the original Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo astronauts. And the book was The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. And, you know, I just re recognized like traits that these guys had that I felt like I had in myself with only one exception. And that is I was not a good student and I couldn't do my homework. But I thought, you know, if I could just fix that one thing about me, um, you know, learn how to study and pay attention, maybe I could go and... Uh, you know, fly airplanes in the Navy. Uh, maybe if not the Navy, maybe the Air Force. That'd be easier. Um, don't land on a ship. Uh, you know, maybe a test pilot. Maybe quite even possibly an astronaut someday. And, you know, it's pretty easy to think, you know, that 18-year-old kid reads book, decides he or she's going to become an astronaut. That's really a, you know, kind of a giant leap, maybe. Um. But in retrospect, for me, what it was was a bunch of much, you know, smaller, manageable steps, one built upon the other that culminated in, culminated in almost 18 years later to the day from when I read this book at 18, I was flying in space for the first time. A pretty remarkable comeback. For certain. I mean, that's the second time uh, that a book, I think, impacted you based upon my, my reading of your book, uh, when you were in space for a year, uh, uh, and it's, that's a very long time, I believe the longest anyone's ever spent in space. Um, so you were at the, yeah, so you were at the space station for a year and you brought with you a book, um, Shackleton's Voyage, I think it was. Uh, it's actually called Endurance also. Oh, okay. Part of and, the inspiration for my title of my book, yeah. And you would read that when you were feeling at your worst, right? It gave you motivation to that things could always be worse. Yeah, I brought it with me for that very purpose that if, 
you know, the living conditions or the situation ever got uh, really bad, which is always the possibility when you're in a situation like that in space. But if they ever got bad and I ever felt like kind of down on myself or down, uh, depressed or whatever for the situation I find myself in, I would just open up this book. Uh, Alfred Lansing was the writer uh, of this book, Endurance, that was about Ernest Shackleton's um, uh, failed attempt to reach the, uh, uh, to cross the South, um, the South Pole um, from one side of the continent to the other. And it's just an incredible story of survival and leadership that in his failure, um, you know, he found uh, great success in that he was able to keep his crew, all of them, uh, over 50 people, I think, uh, alive for uh, almost two years and rescued themselves, basically, uh, and didn't lose one single person. So, um, yeah, they had it pretty bad, much worse than I did. For certain. And I, have to, I, I just have to ask you some of the uh, particulars that I know everyone's going to be wondering. Uh, you talk about having to eat in space and what a wild ride that was, a, a gravityless meal. Uh, can you tell our, um, our listeners? Well, you know, when everything floats, it makes a lot of things more challenging to do. Most things really, um, you know, with a few exceptions, like moving things that are really heavy because they don't no longer have weight or, you know, getting your body in kind of unique positions to be able to repair things. Uh, you know, think about uh, maybe hooking up a TV or something that when you're trying to, you know, get your hand behind it, like sometimes challenging, but if you can, you know, turn yourself into different positions, it's a lot easier. So those two things are easier. Every Everything else is more difficult because things float and things float away and you have to have them secured or Velcroed or taped or put away. So uh, even eating is a challenge um, where, you know, you just have to be very deliberate and very organized so you're, you know, you don't lose your spoon. <laughs> hey, Seamus, are you like the color man or what do you do? Just sitting there I'm, being I'm Tony's Ed McMahon. Okay. <laughs> the silent Ed McMahon. The silent Ed McMahon, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed doesn't say much, so... <laughs> <laughs> Great to meet you, Scott. Yeah, hey, sweetie. I was wondering what you were doing. <laughs> Taking well, notes. <laughs> He'd be the right person to take notes about. Um, I mean, there were so many things that happened to your body, you know, spending the year uh, up, up there in space. You talk about your reaction to your body when you returned uh, and the reaction to your body being up there. I mean, the little things that I didn't know, like if you didn't exercise, you know, you were just going to lose bone mass. Um, I your mean, bones would turn to dust without exercise. Up in space. And that's, I, I just think, amazing. People don't realize that, I guess, the impact gravity has. Uh, even the story you were telling about when you would watch a movie, uh, you know, it didn't make any difference what position you were in and, and your body feels the same, whether you're, you're mock lying down or, or standing there, but yet you had the tendency to, to lie down. 
you know, would it, to simulate lying down, I guess, in space uh, just to watch a movie. Yeah, it's a weird thing that in space, for whatever reason, when people watch a movie, like the, we had this big screen, we would on the weekends sometimes, you know, uh, unfold and set up. And when you, um, you know, when you, if you're like watching, like we had, we also had a, like, um, you know, a projector with a smaller screen and you're just floating around or you're eating or something. You're basically most stuff you do, you're upright, but for whatever reason, when people watch movies, like settle in to watch a, a long thing on the, on the projector TV, they tend to just all of a sudden like float backwards and lean back as if they're lying down on like a recliner, which makes no sense because there's no <laughs> real reason to be in that position other than it's something in our brain that makes it uh, more comfortable. I think to, you know, when we're used to watching a film, you generally do it lying back or down. So it's just kind of an odd observation of mine uh, from my time in space. And your dreams, you seem to have vivid dreams um, while you were in space. Uh, and a lot of times they were floating over the earth. That, I thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, you know, when I, I flew a long flight um, prior to this year-long one uh, of 154 days, I think. And when I got back, the uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, they asked me, did I have any dreams? And I said, yeah, I did. And they said, well, what were they? Were they like space dreams or earth dreams or what were they? And I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. So this time when I flew, I made an effort to write them down. And uh, yeah, they're just about as crazy as dreams on earth. And um, and yeah, Interestingly enough, in the beginning of the mission, they were more Earth-based dreams. And as I was in space longer, they became more, you know, grounded in space, uh, I guess you could say. And uh, as I was getting closer to home, I started dreaming more about Earth again. But uh, yeah, they were about as crazy as you can imagine. And when you say uh, floating, I mean, are we talking like Superman-ish? Like you're just kind of soaring in the sky above? No, more like... Uh, uh, I would say like a Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future <laughs> kind of floating. That's so you know, fast. People don't fly. If you're a brand new space flyer, you fly around like Superman. But if you're experienced, you kind of stay more upright like, uh, you know, a homo sapien maybe. Is that the is that the actual I see in the background there? Is that your actual uniform? A spacesuit from my spacesuit. Uh, I'm sorry. First long duration flight. Wow, that's incredibly cool. <laughs> um, it's a yeah, that's some souvenir. I always, a, I always get a ten on Room Raider for my room background because of that spacesuit. <laughs> It doesn't get much cooler than that. That's every boy's dream, right? Every little Seamus, right? Every little boy's dream. My dream, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And I thought your dream so was that... to—I thought your dream was to beat up Evander Holyfield. <laughs> well, I got him a few shots. I got him a few shots. Uh, yeah, of course. So everyone wants to go to space. I remember being in Ireland. I was, I was raised in Ireland and came here as a teenager. 
But uh, uh, the, the question I always, I'm, you know, I, I'm in, in the film business also, and the question I always love to ask people is, uh, yeah, part of screenwriting is uh, to have interesting characters, is how do you, how do you solve your problems? What, what kind of problems? Any problems you have. Like, uh, personally, I'm also a, a sober uh, Irishman, at, at 25 years sober, and uh, I apply the 12 steps every day to my life. So uh, that's kind of a this was sort of a spiritual solution. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, um, it's, it's, it's how, you, how you find out how a person... What makes a person tick? What motivates people? What, what uh, did you have a, a dominant father? Did uh, how was your life growing up? You know, I yeah, I, I talk a little bit about my father in my book and my parents' relationships. But for me, I think problem solving. I'm I'm pretty like scientific, engineering oriented, and I just try to look at things very objectively. Uh, mm. You know, look at all the different options and choose the one that makes the most sense at the, at the time. Mm. Not the too fancy. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, and what did you, what's your main motivator in life? You think? Um, well, you know, before I left NASA, it was just trying to do extraordinarily interesting uh, things in uh, aviation and, and space flight. Uh, you know, I became an astronaut, not because I wanted to fly in space, but because I wanted to fly the space shuttle, which was mm. the most complicated aerospace vehicle ever built. And um, for me, it was that that motivated me. It was not some uh, idealistic cause. I mean, certainly, you know, serving my country was important. I was in the Navy. You know, I thought uh, space flight was important for our, our country as well and for mm -hmm. society in general. But for me, really, it was about the challenge of it. And um, I guess maybe I'm motivated by challenges. Uh, now it's a little bit different because I my work is much less technical. So mm -hmm. my motivation is not as high as it once was mm. because the consequences mm. are not as great of uh, making mm. a mistake when you risk uh, everything your life your crew members lives that is um, motivation enough alone to do a very very good and thorough job yeah your li life is really always on the line isn't it up, up there in space huh yeah. always always that's stressful any repercussions physically or emotionally you think from you know, I think people that fly in space, you know, have a different perspective on the earth, on the environment, on humanity. Not a, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, you know, report this, you know, just seeing how fragile the, you know, the atmosphere looks and how parts of the planet are almost always covered in pollution. Uh, the deforestation of the rainforest was obvious over the 17 years I flew in space. Um, so it changes that way. Uh, most people, I think. You know, physically, I have some uh, structural changes in my, um, the anatomy of my eyes, nothing serious, but that is a result of um, being in space for long periods of time. I uh, also have some genetic uh, changes, but, you know, so far, no ill effects. So hopefully that'll remain that way. What kind of, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of genetic changes 
Uh, 7% of my gene expression change. So our genes are DNA, RNA proteins, and uh, the expression is basically like whether they are activated or deactivated, turned on or turned off. I guess it's like a light switch. They can go either way. And uh, basically it controls all of our, you know, physiology. So a gene expressing a different way might cause some, might have a detrimental effect. It may not. It, maybe it could be a good thing. Uh, we just yeah. don't know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm curious, how'd you make that decision to, to go up into space for a year? I mean, that had, I mean, what was going through your mind in making that decision? I mean, that was a huge chunk of time to be up in space. No one had done it, you know, before that. Uh, you didn't know the outcome or if you'd survive or what the impact to your body would be. I mean, how, how do you pull the Band-Aid off of that and just make that your choice? Well, people uh, have spent longer in space. There have been cosmonauts that have spent uh, longer than I have. I'm the person who spent the longest time in space for a non-Russian, basically an American, but not also non-Russian uh, person. Um, you know, initially I wasn't all that interested in it because, um, you know, six months is a long time and uh, to be in space. And uh, that was the hardest part about it was the duration. So... When the idea came up originally, I wasn't all that interested. But, you know, like a lot of things, as you get further away from them, um, you kind of forget the hard part and remember the good part. And I did want to fly in space again. I wanted it to be different, wanted it to be challenging. So, you know, what would be more challenging than spending um, more than twice as long as my previous flight? And, you know, I was right. It was challenging, but it was uh, definitely worth the time and effort, you know, as far as the risk is concerned, you know, there's risks in everything we do. I mean, with this pandemic, there's risk in going out of your house, right? And, uh, but, you know, you weigh the, uh, the benefits, the pros and the cons. And in the end, it made sense for me to do this. And uh, I had no, I have no regrets at all. What was your most memorable moment, if I could ask? Is if you if I if you have, I'm sure there's a ton of memorable moments, but do you have one most memorable moment during that year? Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, I uh, you know certainly launching, landing, coming back. You know, when the parachute opens of the Soyuz, it's a crazy ride. It's like uh, it's like going over Niagara Falls in a barrel <laughs> while you're on fire. E. <laughs> You know, if I hated every minute of being in space for a year, I'd do it all over again for the last 20 minutes. I mean, it's just <laughs> the most fun you've ever had. Um, uh, you know, those are memorable. memorable. I ne I'd never done a spacewalk before, and I did three on this mission. So, you know, getting outside the spacecraft in a vacuum. And, you know, at one point I was uh, kind of on the front of the space station as it's, uh, you know, hurtling through space where I couldn't really see anything except the earth in front of me. I couldn't see like the structure of the space station too well. Kind of felt like um, that guy, Jack, the Leo, Leo uh, DiCaprio character on the Titanic, you know, <laughs> on the king of the world. Kind of feeling. Uh, that was pretty memorable. That's a lot amazing. of memories, yeah. That's amazing. I know you have an, uh, another book. I don't think it's out yet. I th Maybe I'm wrong. Infinite Wonder, is that is that out yet? Has that been released? Yeah. That's a, a, a picture book. It's like a coffee table book about 
space flight, my space flights. And, uh, you know, it has a lot of pictures of the earth in, in it and has some words, pretty light on words though, because it's a picture book. Now they were all pictures you took. Yes. That you yeah, took? all but one of them. There's one picture in the book that I didn't take, but I liked it. So I borrowed it. And there's a really sweet story in your, uh, in your book endurance where you took a picture for your daughter uh from space and emailed it to her i mean okay. she must have been she must have been thrilled i think you tell i don't remember the story <laughs> okay remind me i haven't read that book in a few years <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was sweet i mean you had uh, talked about the struggles you know of trying to communicate and be part of her life while in space for a year um and you, you thought I guess that you would really enjoy, um, you know, having a very own picture from space taken for her yeah. and you, you took it and I, I guess you must have emailed it. Um, and how does that work? I mean, email actually worked while you were up in, in space. It's magic. <laughs> it truly is. I mean, so I guess that helped you stay connected. Uh, email more than anything else. Uh, you were able to email your family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had email, we had phone, video conferences. It works through like satellites and kind of very similar to how this phone works. <laughs> yeah, people have a hard time. Like, how do you have, you say, how, do you, how did you have a phone or email in space? That's crazy. Well, a lot of the satellites that we use to communicate through this thing go through satellites in space. So it's mm. pretty common. Well, not a lot of people realize that. So I think I was really struck also when I read the book that you're emailing. I'm like, it's, it's quite possible. Me. You're in New Jersey, right? Yes. It's quite possible this signal is bouncing off a satellite here or there. We just don't realize it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's wild. It's not something you think about, though. I mean, I never. I think about it. Well, you said, <laughs> <laughs> because you're up there, your, your perspective, you have the advantage. I mean, your perspective is different than everybody else's, ex you know, uh, experience. I don't imagine you're in a very small elite group of people who can say they've, uh, they've been in space and they've lived in space. Yep. It's pretty, uh, it's kind of uh, a privilege, I think, of getting to do this. And it's a privilege that's paid for by the U.S. taxpayer. And I don't, um, I never forget that. So thank you, taxpayers. <laughs> did, did, you, did you come back and ever watch footage of yourself? I mean, of course, the news covered it somewhat rapidly. Uh, and they had footage of you, you know, and uh, floating. I don't, in like, I don't like watching myself on anything. No? <laughs> Not all that interesting. <laughs> At least well, to me. I think because you're living it, maybe you don't realize how interesting you actually are. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, I mean, I think that would have been one of the first things I did uh, to probably check out and see myself floating around. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I remember when I was like, I don't need to watch it on TV. <laughs> and you talked about even exercising, how exercising was part of your work day as to what you needed to do. And it really helped motivate you, I guess, to do it because it was part of the work day and not something you had to do in your social life. Yeah. Do you still do that? Do you still keep up to that exercise regimen? 
not what I did in space, but I, I still exercise not, you know, twice a day, six days a week. Well, I have to say, I read the reading your book was so interesting and so fascinating. Oh. I mean, for any, for anyone, uh, any little boy out there, uh, you especially, I think you make a very good case for someone who's not doing well in school, um, you know, and who maybe isn't the, the you know, the, the, the Dean's List student, uh, that you can change things for yourself. You can still chase a dream and make it happen. Uh, and I mean, that again is a story of hope. And we love to have people on who talk about hope and changing your life and your decisions, making a difference. And I think that's an important component of your story. Yeah, you know, I'm a good example of how if you, uh, you know, if you don't give up, you know, you find some inspiration, you come up with a goal and a plan to get there, you can uh, achieve some pretty remarkable things despite, you know, a slow start. I always, you know, kind of preface when I talk about this story is, especially to kids, and that is, you know, don't say, hey, I'm going to do bad in school because that guy did bad in school and he still became an astronaut because I think that was a different time. It was easier to recover um, for me, and I don't think it would be as easy today. But uh, I think the moral of the story is just never, ever give up on yourself and you can, uh, you can achieve, achieve some uh, remarkable uh, things in your life. Uh, which, of course, you did. <laughs> uh, now... I think before I, and I know we're out of time, but before I let you go, um, I obviously want to thank you for what you did because you did bring so much science uh, into the world here that they were able to use the data, you know, from what happened. Uh, but endurance was the right word for your book. And I just have to throw this out there because your story of what you had to endure getting into the program and, you know, passing uh, not only the physical testing, but the mental testing, what you had to go through to be that astronaut, and then what you had to endure for the year that you were there. And then even when you came back, like when you're having dinner with your family, like the next day and how sick you felt. Um, it's, it's all about, you know, your ability to endure through that. Uh, and it's such a compelling story. Uh, yeah, it was a good title for that book, because it, you know, it captures the idea of a year-long mission, but it also captures, uh, you know, all the lessons I learned throughout my life and this idea of, you know, keep your head down, learn what you need to learn, move forward um, is kind of a secret to success. And also I wanted to honor uh, one of my heroes, Ernest Shackleton, by borrowing his book title which you're allowed to do, by the way, because you can't copyright a title. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's such, it's so worth the read for anyone who hasn't read his book. Um, it, if you're interested in science or space, it's certainly, you know, a great read from that perspective. But I think it's also anyone, you know, who talks, who wants to read a story about someone who, as I said, started off as an underachiever and somewhat reinvented himself when, you know, the passion just hit you. And certainly you had to have passion to take the path you did. 
I, I don't think most, the average person would have given up, I think. I mean, you went through a lot and I'm not going to go through uh, all, the, all the stories. They're certainly there and available in the book, but you endured quite a bit to achieve your goals. And that's a testament uh, to your character and who you are as a person. Well, thank you. So I, th I think we're out of time. Uh, I certainly enjoyed our chat. I could have gone on forever. I mean, I, I have mm -hmm. tons of notes. I read the book and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. It's really hard to narrow it down to the few to a few questions um, because how often do you get to speak to an astronaut, somebody who's lived in space? So I, I tried to focus on just the few things that I, I was particularly struck yeah. by. All right, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you. Do you still box at all, Seamus? Uh, I don't, but would you believe that, uh, have you heard about this celebrity boxing series? I've, it... yeah, I've seen some, like, uh, yeah. you, YouTube stars and stuff, YouTube yeah. stars get done fighting and, and they actually uh, asked me to fight a guy. So I probably won't because I'm way past my, my boxing days, but then the guys that want me to fight are way past their boxing days. So <laughs> stuff might happen. Who'd they, who they ask you to fight? They want me to fight. Um, uh, he's a middleweight, ex-former world champion, uh, Keith Holmes. Okay, so he a, a boxer, not like. Oh yeah, yeah. So I says, I said, why are you having me fight a professional fighter, world champion? All these guys are fighting YouTube stars. I don't want to fight a YouTube star. <laughs> you think you could beat that, Jake? You think you could beat that Jake Paul guy? I actually, last night, sent him a message, sent to Damon. Damon uh, is the guy who runs the show. I sent him a message saying, let's, uh, I'm, I'm the same weight as, as uh, Jake Paul. I says, let's uh, legitimize Jake, see if he's any good, and let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. How long do you think I'd last in a ring with you? We could go 15 rounds easy. No way. I was thinking maybe 15 seconds. <laughs> That'd be my goal. No, we, 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 could, we could dance around. We could do dance around, you know. All right, guys. Well, good talking to you. I got to take off. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so take much. Take care, Scott. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.